What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Spitballers in 2023. We got our boy Alex, the CEO, on the show today. Alex is an insane entrepreneur. He's had shoe stores on Melrose Ave in Los Angeles, sold kicks to the game and LaMelo Ball and all sorts of influencers and celebrities in that area. There's a ton of business acumen and insight that you guys will pull from this, so thank you for tuning in. The pod is going super hard lately. We love producing it for you guys. We're excited to crank out more episodes this year. Make sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe, because if you don't do those things, then we can't keep growing this. Thank you guys for tuning in. Right on. Welcome, listeners. Are we recording? Man? We're good now. Sweet. Awesome. What's up, guys? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spitballers. Thank you for tuning in. We have a very entrepreneurial episode on the horizon today. We got our boy Alex, our boy Aleem. Welcome, guys. We're very excited to have you. Um, Aleem, you're the not only our first guest ever, but our first guest to come back to a second episode ever. So Back Thanks. again like I never left. <laughs> I love it. Hell yeah. Um, welcome, guys. Um, Alex, thank you for coming, man. Um, thank you for having me. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're a Sonoma County native and sneakerhead that worked your way up to doing some pretty badass stuff. You had a sneaker store on Melrose called Cookies and Kicks. Correct. Why don't you give us, because this is our first time meeting us and listeners who don't know who you are, just like kind of a background story to how you got into that and like yeah. got to where you are today. Yeah. So Sonoma County native, um, born here, went to the Windsor schools uh, up until fifth grade, moved to Santa Rosa, finished uh, my schooling there, graduated from Montgomery, um, and then... Freshman year is kind of when I got interested in sneakers, um, and it was always for the aesthetic for the first few years. And then um, I got to the age of buying a car and um, the way I was raised. I mean, I think like a lot of us, you got to get it on your own, you know. So started selling off my sneakers, um, and like these are shoes that I wore for two, three years. Maybe I paid 150 and I got use out of them, and I was making profit selling them for 200 250 um, and that's when it kind of clicked in me. So, um, yeah, sold off my collection, got a car. Um, school for me was not my thing at all. Um, graduated with like a 1.8, um, like really barely made it out of there. Uh, so, you know, I had a lot of pressure to like do good in school, go to the JC cause college definitely wasn't an option at that mm-hmm. point. So go to the JC, um, Went there for like six months, maybe. Took a marketing class and like an intro to accounting class. Um, Still hated it. And then that's when I was like, okay, I need to figure something out. So throughout high school, I was selling shoes like at a very small scale. And then um, I was working a job at a place called Betty's Fish and Chips on a, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah, yeah, like towards uh, Mission Boulevard. Yeah, exactly. So making... I don't know, probably that thousand bucks a month and then just like funneling it into shoes. So um, obviously like every business, low capital at the beginning, um, I would do a lot of like restorations or cleaning sneakers uh, because obviously you didn't need any money to like buy product at that point. So making like 50 bucks to clean shoes, restore them, whatever, um, on top of like stacking those paychecks and then using that money to start buying sneakers to flip. So Started with pre-owned um, just because it was a lower barrier to entry. And then uh, just continued to do that. The business, um, before I left Sonoma County, it was doing really well because there wasn't, this is probably 2016. Um, very low competition, 
the Santa Rosa Plaza is like at that point it was like a gold mine for sneaker reselling. Um, there was no one really doing it, and we had like we had shoe palace, we had uh, like champs. champs, Foot Locker, Skateworks, even like for that size mall having like five sneaker stores, it was like pretty insane. Mm. So I leveraged that, um, just built good connections uh, with the employees and was able to was able to do pretty well here and then that's when I moved to LA and that's when everything kind of went parabolic I guess how old are you in 2016 when you're doing all this hustling in the mall uh like 18 18 yeah so in but in high school like where does all this ambitious DNA come from I guess um honestly I don't know uh before that I was never I always kind of had like an entrepreneurial spirit um, but I was never really applying myself towards that when I was younger. Um, like one thing that I always remember, for instance, was being like 10 years old and my neighbors were doing a lemonade stand and they didn't have any cups. So I was like, yeah, dude, like my mom, whatever. She had some like red solo cups. I was like, I'll supply the cups, dropped off the cups, came back like a few hours later. I'm like, all right, let's, let's break our bread, you know? And, uh, that's, that's like the one thing I can really remember of, you know, kind of having that spirit in me, but um, I always just really liked nice things. So that was like always my motivating factor since I was a young kid was just nice things. And that's why I first got into sneakers aesthetically just wanting to wear them because I just wanted those things. So it was obviously I had to work for it. So you built a business essentially based off of a passion of just aesthetic exactly. looks, exactly. things of that nature. Which is, I think that's how every, you know, business should start. I think that's going to give you the most longevity. It's just being passionate about it, doing it for the love. It's not about like, if you can find something where it's not about the dollar signs, but there is a way to monetize it. I mean, you're, you're never going to work, you know, it's that passion. That's going to wake you up on days. 100%. Yeah. It's just to, you can't help yourself, but gravitate towards it. Yeah. Exactly. So like most high schoolers are making a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine, you know, as an entrepreneur in high school, you're probably making more money than everybody in high school. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? How did you kind of keep your ego in check? How did you kind of continue building the <laughs> I business? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. No. Um, honestly, uh, ego ego has definitely been something I've tried to work on. Um, it, yeah, definitely didn't keep my ego in check. I was definitely very, uh, very full of myself. But what I noticed, we'll like get to that point. But like once I got my like real bag, I guess you could say, that's like when my ego just completely like, okay nothing to prove like this is you know because a lot of that is like trying to prove to yourself or prove to others mainly like oh i make money i get money like i have this this and this but once you really have it and you're like genuinely content inside i don't really you know so <clears throat> a lot of people who make this journey to la they go to la thinking that it's like the mecca of opportunity and success right and they use la as an excuse where it's like oh i need to get to la first then i'm gonna go make it but you had already dominated a niche market up here in Sonoma County and proved that like, hey, I know the industry really well and now I'm going to go to LA and level up, right? right? And so I, I really admire that about you. You didn't really make any excuses. A lot of people are like, oh, you live in Sonoma County. It's a really small market. Mm -hmm. You're never going to make it here. But you completely defied the odds and, and got, got your bag here before you went to LA and leveled up. A yeah. big so, fish in your own pond first. Yeah, for sure. I've actually never thought about that. That's a great way to put it. Um, what was it like going from that underdog because we're underdogs up here in Sonoma County. So sure. you went from being a top dog in the underdog pool to in a sea of sharks in LA. What was that yeah, like? Exactly. So, um, 
yeah, business started to kind of plateau here. Um, and then that's when I moved to LA and like, it was definitely different because here I was probably one out of maybe like, I can't even say a handful of people that was like doing what I was doing. Like it was really a couple other people. Now I've seen like a lot of Sonoma County resellers doing their thing. And like, I love it because, uh, they're probably going through what I went through and realizing like, damn, like I'm in a gold mine. I'm not in a big populated city. Like there's so much room for growth here. Um, but yeah, it was definitely interesting moving to LA, super competitive. Um, but early on kind of where I wanted to base my business off of was trying to work with like athletes or like musicians or people like that. Um, and I don't know if that was like for the hype or if it was for, I don't know what it was for, maybe like kind of building my personal brand, but um, you can't just do what everyone else was doing out there, which is just buying a shoe from one person, selling it to a consumer. You got to like really build your brand. How do you, it. how do you stand out and do that? Um, it's honestly just DMS. Like you'd be surprised you can reach. I mean, I'm sure you guys have like DM some pretty crazy people and like you've gotten responses, you know, like it's legitimately just sending out mass DMS, copy and paste to. Yeah. What's know. definitely like, it's been surprising like some of the responses we get, or even just for getting guests for this show, like yeah. people are like, oh yeah, I'm down. Yeah. What's the craziest one you have? Or you're like, this kind of feels like a, a far shot, but I'm just going to shoot. Um, and it ended up working out. Uh, I would say the, mm, it's crazy. Um, I would say like for the moment, it's not like, it's not the biggest person I worked with, but just based on like the cold DM outreach, uh, I would say, Lamelo Ball was like very early Damn. on. Damn. That was like, that was probably four, or five years ago, when I was That's like sick. working with Lamelo. I, um, I remember seeing stories of you pulling up to Lamelo Ball's house yeah, with like dude. two bags full of shoes, and y'all would yeah. just be having like try on sessions in the kitchen. Yeah, dude, we'd pull up and like, uh, a lot of these athletes like they live super casual lives. They're not like they're just at the house all day. That's what I've noticed from like every athlete I've worked with. If they're not playing ball, they're, you know, at the house. So yeah, we used to go to the, the big baller mansion, um, see like the whole family there, uh, just like mess around. We'd, you know, do the shoe thing and then we'd like play some 2K, shoot some dice, like just little things. So cool. that was pretty surreal. That was probably my first surreal moment. What's the anatomy of that DM look like? Are you, are you messaging them like, or sending them pictures of shoes? Are you trying to sell them? Are you giving them something just to like get that brand reputation of a guy who works with these stars across different platforms? Right. Yeah. So I think, I think how the celebrity perceives it is like, they're reaching out to me because obviously I have the upper hand here and like I can leverage that, mm -hmm. you know? So if it's like, if it's reaching out to someone, like I think a standard DM back in that time would be like, uh, like what's up, bro? Like if you ever need sneakers, reach out to me, I got you. And then, you know, obviously they're looking at that as a, like maybe it's a freebie or maybe it's just like heavily discounted. Mm -hmm. Then like you give them a shoe, maybe a shoe I paid one fifty four goes for two twenty. like shoot me a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. You just lost 50 bucks. But like what, what are other companies <laughs> paying to get LaMelo to co-sign them? And he's going to come back because yeah. you did, you, you gave yeah. to receive essentially. Yeah. So it's like, I lose $50, but like at the end of the day, the real value of like making that connection could be easily five figures. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, in the app world, we call that LTV, lifetime value of a customer. Exactly. You spend money to acquire that customer, but that customer is worth a lot more than what you spent to acquire them. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Like, even some of the bigger people we worked with, like, if it meant giving them a shoe we paid 200 bucks for to get them in the door, like, I don't think any other company could ever, you know, mm-hmm. pay that low. So you're you're DMing these guys. That's like actually putting in the effort to reach out to them to invite them, right? Mm-hmm. But how are you marketing yourself like to look credible to them when you're young? Because they're not going to reply to a ghost profile on Instagram, right? right? Like they want to look and see that things just look legit at whatever you're selling. So like, yeah, how are you building brand in those sort of ways? Um, social media. I mean, at the end of the day, that's when I say like building your brand, you have to like, a lot of people build their build their businesses based off, you know, not really like showing their face, but I was like very out there, like showing my face and videos and just like all that type of stuff, posting all your inventory on your, you know, on your Instagram page. Um, Are you doing this yourself too? Yeah, all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've, I was actually talking to someone the other day, like I've never had an assistant, so everything's been I was hoping you say that because I I tell people all the time like you do not need a gigantic team all you need is your phone and just the confidence and belief in yourself to put yourself out there yeah yeah no 100% so doing it on my own and just um trying to look as credible on social media as I could and just getting those connections then obviously it's a snowball effect once you get that one photo with LaMelo then it's like you're DMing other people oh he worked with him and then it's like all right he's definitely credible now so the thing I know about Alex, though, is like there there are those people who, you know, are out doing something entrepreneurial, like they're working on their venture and they are perceived to be busy people. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I knew about Alex was that he was really always busy. Mm-hmm. And like I'd never hear from Alex, but then I'd see like one story from Alex and it'd be like a wall full of sneakers. And I'm like, all right, Alex has got a lot of work to do. He's probably not replying to my text right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, my God, dude. That's like the biggest thing about L.A. is the fake busy is insane out there like everyone's fake busy and like the people the people who are really busy like you just don't hear about it but you know um definitely definitely grinded like um the ambition back then was uh unmatched to what i've seen like in my life since then you know obviously you start to get a little bit comfortable you take your foot off the gas a little bit which is subconsciously it just happens but yeah we were we were working, dude. Well, I was I was working at that point. I was still a one man show. Right, and it's easier to get more comfortable once you get towards like a certain goal. Like you're right. just way further along yeah. where you are today than you were when you started. So yeah, it, it only makes sense. Yeah. How do you go from selling sneakers, just like going to people's houses, having to come to your house, sell them out of your car, whatever it is, to owning a store on like one of the most popular streets in the the world really yeah for that stuff definitely one of the top streets um so between that point and uh cookies and kicks there was a gap with like a little aleem's familiar the vault Mm -hmm. yeah so i had like this little gap of like six to eight months um where i opened my one of my buddies had a uh recording studio on melrose but he also had a storefront which wasn't being utilized so um, we kind of like partnered up with that, nothing like super official, but just through, I don't know, I think max, maybe we had like 150 pairs in there, um, just at the front. And so. good foot traffic and oh, yeah. artists walking by them. All oh the time. yeah. Well, yeah, that was the main thing is like, dude, if you're, if you're a rapper and you're on Melrose, which is like a dime a dozen mm-hmm. and you see like sneakers and a recording studio, it, it worked really well to drive people in. 
Um, I have to ask because I'm I'm a hip hop fan to yeah. my core. Did you ever like what's the craziest rapper like you met through selling sneakers like in that setting? Um, I would say I mean the person you'd probably respect the most would be the game. Oh yeah, I'm like pretty tight with him. Ooh, that's hard, um, bro. Which he he showed like a bunch of love early on. So really, that was he's he's awesome. Um, respects then, the hustle when he sees it. I could see that in the game for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's super cool. And that was that was actually just a cold DM. Really, dude, it was actually pretty crazy. This was, I want to say like the first month of opening cookies, but that was just a what's up, bro, blah blah blah. Like, and that was for my personal. I was still DMing people off my personal, but obviously, cookies and kicks would be in my bio, so they could put two and two together. Um, but yeah, that was just like here's my address mansion in calabasas pulled up over there and like it was just surreal the rolls royces the lamborghinis legendary like, damn yeah, it was legendary for damn. sure hate it or love it how we do it the game is legendary yeah. man that's sick yeah yeah so um he was he was really dope and then um sorry i took you as, off your no, tangent no, no. though my bad, yeah, i was my bad. gonna say as we go through like the cookies and kicks journey like definitely i'll tell you about all the people we worked with cool um how'd you come up with so, the name cookies and kicks or sorry you can answer the first question first yeah no so i was just gonna say uh did the vault and then um i met my old business partner ellie and he had a shoe cleaning store right next to the vault um and he was just like hey like you know i see you're doing your thing here and uh by this time i had done i have like a somewhat extensive background in e-commerce so i had uh made a decent amount of money off that um, and Ellie was aware of that and he was like, dude, we should go do our own thing and like open up a real store. Um, this was er, late 2018, early 19 when we started to kind of plot on that. Um, and then, yeah, we went and looked at spots and I was just like, dude, there's no way like these spots are like humongous and like we're young, like there's no way we're going to execute a lease and like actually get in you know, one of these brick and mortars and then just one thing led to another. And he was like huge driving factor. He was, uh, you know, he was part of the Jewish community in LA. So like he just had a lot of leverage when it comes mm. to signing leases and just like getting in spots and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we signed our lease. Uh, we brought on two more guys. So me and Ellie were equal partners and then we brought in a couple other guys to you know, they were familiar with the space. They were good at what they do. So brought them on. Um, and yeah, we started with 150 grand cumulative. So between like inventory and cash and we opened doors April, 2019. Damn. Yeah. How did day one go? Day one, uh, day one was cool. <laughs> we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. So day one, uh, we opened up and we, that $150,000 was like, we're talking, I think it was 37000 to just get in the spot because we we're young and like we we're just such a liability. So, okay, let's say we're down to like 110. You know, we put 30K in renovations. Now we have 80K. And then we had maybe like 60K in inventory, which is like, we're talking a 2,200 square foot spot. Like, that's maybe, I don't know, two, 300 shoes. Like, it was empty. Mm. But opening day for any sneaker store, kind of like the industry standard is you do like deals and steals and all that. So dude, we liquidated like half our inventory <laughs> just on like shooting ourselves in the foot, like either breaking even or losing 10, 20%. Um, 
but yeah, our first day in sales was $14,000 and, um, that was a good day. Honestly, it did take us a little while to beat that number, but, uh, yeah, it was solid. We had a lot of love, a lot of foot traffic. Um, and just all the guys I was partnering with, they all had, you know, a lot of respect in LA as far as like the hype game and the sneaker culture and all that. So we got a lot of love off the rip for sure. That's cool. Yeah. I'm sure given, <clears throat> giving, same like how you did with LaMelo. Yeah. Given a little bit, they were coming back because they're like first day they hooked oh, yeah. it up. That's sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you kind of, you, you have to do that, but <laughs> you don't have to do it with half your inventory like we did. But yeah. So many learning lessons uh, just throughout that journey, but it was good, man. We opened doors and then just really never looked back. Um what were you guys? What were your guys' like marketing strategies going into early that? on? Uh, really, just IG push giveaways, mm-hmm. like kind of your standard, you know. This stuff, is w- but this is when there was no TikTok. This is when right, IG right, right, was right, the yeah. go-to marketing spot. Exactly, everyone's buying ads on no, IG. I, everyone's yep. pushing it. Yeah. So we we. I don't think we bought any media at that point. I think maybe we messed around with like some Google Google ads to like drive foot traffic, but. That wasn't really, that wasn't like our customer base. It was hard to target. Like, you know, our our target customer was probably a 15 to 17 year old boy or girl uh, who's like, you know, has their parents' credit card. This isn't Sonoma County. Like, this is LA. It's all daddy's money, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, it it did really well. Um, And then that brings us to that first year in business was a, Average, I guess, you know, we weren't, we didn't pay dividends out. Like up until I sold, we paid like very little dividends out of the business. So we still had to hustle for ourselves. I was uh, still doing like e-commerce stuff here and there. Um, And then, you know, we'd consign shoes and do all that. But uh, that first year in business was cool. Um, Definitely met a lot of people. And then, uh, yeah, pandemic hit. What kind of e-commerce stuff did you do? Just drop shipping. Drop shipping? Yeah. Like, like what, what, what drop shipping what? Uh, that's rule number one. No, the last <laughs> no. Oh, wait. Um, I, I want to spill one. Did you ever end up selling that crazy, like, inflatable sofa that you were showing me one time? No, no. The, 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 I don't even know the term. The, like, it was so, it was, it was hard to sell. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. like a $2,000 inflatable Yeah, sofa. it was like a $2,000 item. So, like, dude, you're talking, like, I don't know. You're talking spending ten grand. Like, you want to sell at least like ten of them. But yeah, it's just not realistic. But I just remember you um, showing me that one time. Your rule makes yeah. sense. Thinking about it while you guys were talking, I was like, oh yeah, if I had something I was getting, I would not want someone no, to no, go no, buy no. a bunch <laughs> of it. I was no, I was I was messing around. Um, but I, it's so hard to say. Honestly, it was like funneling through a lot of products, and like I had what you call a general store. Mm-hmm. Not really a general store because they are one product shops for the most part, but just like running testing new products and then it kind of dies out throw a new product on there um and like i mean it's drop shipping at the end of the day back then it was a lot easier as you guys know media was like ridiculous like facebook ads like 2018 like was still very profitable mm-hmm. now i couldn't even you guys obviously would know um not as profitable as it used to be maybe but um right now they say they're up again because zuck 
bet on the VR or whatever and right. lost a bunch of money. Uh, so a lot of big advertisers pulled their dollars, scared of what's going to happen to Facebook. So they have so, to lower. So it now there. the people that are are getting good that good return again because okay. Facebook's trying to just hold on for dear life. Forbes Media. Oh, there we good. go, <laughs> <laughs> marketers. Um, so kind of speaking of metaverse, one thing I know about Alex was that he was an early Bitcoin holder. Yes. Really? Yeah. When did you get into Bitcoin? Um. Uh, probably 2014. Not like I don't have like a life changing story, but um, I want to say turn maybe like a thousand bucks to like 25 grand. Damn. And I was like locked out of my Binance and it was when Binance, I like opened my account back up. I think it was around when Binance stopped catering to the US um, and I was still able to get my money out. But uh, yeah, Bitcoin, that was, that wasn't something, I guess I did kind of subconsciously believe in it, but it was more so like you're a kid and you're buying sketchy shit on the internet. So you need some type of crypto, probably like fake IDs, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, had some Bitcoin and just kind of was like, uh, eh, don't really want to sell it. I'll just hold on to it. And then yeah, crypto, crypto has always been, uh, something I've been super interested in. What's the scoop on Bitcoin right now? I haven't really been keeping up with it at all. Honestly, it's like floating around like 16,000. Still healthy. Things fluctuate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, it went from 40. What I, was that like 40? Like 68. Yeah. 69 grand. Yeah. It's crazy. Just it's a big drop. Generally, the. Yeah, there we go. 16,500. Yeah. I mean, generally, the economy is just tight right now. That yes. free stimulus money era is over. People are yeah. kind of mm-hmm. valuing money more than they did. They're not pu- pushing it in Bitcoin and in crypto right. and travel and all the extra like disposable income stuff. So we are, we are seeing that kind of slowdown right now. And for sure. Uh, it was crazy. Like I would be the one telling my barber to like buy Bitcoin. And then there came a point where my barber is like, yo, Liam, you buying Doge? And I'm like, no, I'm not buying Doge. He's like, I just made 5K buying Doge. I'm like, dude, I can't believe my barber is giving me investment advice right now. When, when I've known about Bitcoin since, you know, it was 50 bucks and my dad would yeah. tell me it's a scam. Like, don't yeah. touch it. That's um, so funny. That's crazy. So it's crazy. I had a similar story with uh, when I worked at Betty's Fish and Chips. That was like kind of when I was like into crypto, like initially. Um, this was, I worked at Betty's throughout high school actually. So this was probably like 2015. Um, and I was telling my boss, you know, he's like older guy, obviously I'm like, dude, Bitcoin, 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 same thing, scam, 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 you know, you're going to lose all your money. And then like a couple of years later, I didn't work there anymore. I stopped in there. He's like, dude, I got these Bitcoin mining rigs. Like <laughs> we're making, we're netting like two grand a day. I'm just like, dude, <laughs> you could have. You could have been way more up, but everyone's scared to be the guinea pig. But monkey see, monkey do. Once they yeah. see one person get rich, yeah, quickly over it, quickly, quote unquote, right. So yeah. the same thing is happening with GPT and Chat GPT. Like mm. I've known about GPT three. I'm not joking for three years when um, people were using GPT three literally just to write like really basic kind of strings of of words. And now GPT three has gotten so advanced that you can literally ask it anything, and it has all the knowledge up until. 2021 and it can literally Mm -hmm. respond to you like a real human wow so i've been looking at gpt3 for like three years and there have been a couple companies like copy ai three years yeah copy ai has been around for three years or so and he was building the company in public and on the back burner open ai which is the company responsible for gpt3 they were building the d2c version of gpt3 which is chat gpt and that's what like everybody's using today just like you know asking it questions 
Um, and now, you know, everybody and their mother is like, hey, Liam, have you used ChatGPT? I'm like, yes, but that technology <laughs> has taken um, almost 10 years to actually train that model. There's never been a more advanced language learning model than GPT-3. It's trained on like 187 billion data points. Oh, my God. Um, pretty much they fed it all of Wikipedia, all of Google, all of YouTube, like every information site on the Internet, they fed it to this AI model. And that's how ChatGPT has gotten so smart. Yeah. It's insane. I played around with it a little bit. He was showing it to the realtors, the owner of the brokerage that we share an office with. And uh, you watched some video on the Alex Hormozzi of like how to use it more, like better, right? And uh, one of the the realtor, owner of the brokerage asked it like some question. He just asked a brokerage attorney and had to pay like two grand to get an answer for. And it gave him the exact (laughs) same answer through chat GPT. Dude, all these lawyers nowadays are just kicking back. On Chad GPT, you could be spinning That's up. Crazy, you could be spinning up DMs to more rappers using Chad GPT and like experimenting with different hooks to get it's their attention. Crazy. W- yep, you, you totally could. I'll be a hundred percent transparent with the listeners. We looked up how to like uh, message podcast guests, like templates, templated messages. It gave us a great fucking template. Like, yeah, it's gonna take some jobs for sure. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's gonna take jobs, but it, I think it's gonna make entrepreneurs. True, you're yeah, you're gonna have yeah. to. I mean, you just have to innovate and grow with the times. Figure out how to use it to like sell services or like arbitrage writing or blog writing or Mm -hmm. 10x output and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Precisely. It's just a tool and we got to learn how to use the tool. For sure. We got to learn how to monetize it. We're still early now. Or are we far? I think it's 30 days open to the public. Okay. Because November 30th, it became available to the public. Uh It will absolutely be monetized. There's no way they're going to leave something that powerful for free for a long time. It was like Google. Google was, it's been free the whole time. But ads, they monetize off ads. That's true. Exactly. They'll figure out a way to get. It actually costs GPT-3, the company, like I think it's $3 million a day to keep the AI model running. Because it takes takes energy to compute the responses. Mm -hmm. So I think it's costing them a lot of money. But they think it's worth it because it's actually training the model to be better. Right. Um, and our boy Elon is an investor in OpenAI. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. No, he's, I didn't know he's that. an early investor in OpenAI. Damn. Oh yeah. Yeah, I could see them putting advertisers on the platform. I don't know sure. how it would integrate. But oh, easily, just yeah. like Google's, just right at the top. Like it could. Yeah. People pay for their spots. Yeah. Bidding yeah. wars. So on the Virally app, I'm actually paying like one penny every time somebody clicks generate ideas because I have to pay OpenAI to like use the GPT-3 API. So if I have to pay for it right now. I imagine they're going to charge people oh, with yeah. ChatGPT. 100%. It's crazy. Crazy times we're living in. Yeah. yeah. What's up, guys? Quick break from today's episode just to give a quick shout out to our first sponsor in Spitballer's history, BW & Co. Real Estate. If you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or become a real estate agent, look no further than BW Co. You guys, I've worked with a lot of real estate agents and brokerages in the past through creative marketing services, and I can confidently say out of all those people, BW Co. cares about their consumers the most. It's even in their slogan, real estate tailored to you. So again, for all of your real estate needs, there's not another brokerage on the planet that I would recommend. Click the link below to follow them on Instagram, DM them, and they'll take good care of you. So shout out to our dogs at BW Co. Real Estate. And now back to the episode. Yeah. Let's circle back to your shoe store. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Where did the name Cookies and Kicks come from? Right. Um, Nothing too crazy. Uh, We were at the the four of us. uh, We were at Cheesecake Factory one day. And that was like right after we signed the lease. We were like, dude, we got to think of a catchy name. And um, if you guys are familiar with, like, Kith, 
They've like always killed everything they've done in the space. They're a brick and mortar in like New York and LA and other places. Um, but their big thing is uh, they have this thing called Kith Treats. So they have like ice, a little ice cream shop inside. And I was like, damn, how could we like kind of replicate that in a way to where it would be like catchy and like, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't do like an ice cream store. So we were like cookies. What could we do with cookies, 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 cookies and kicks? I like it. It's That's catchy cool. as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. People That's love cool. both those things. Yeah, exactly. And the cookies are actually decent. Who was making the cookies? <laughs> so, um, so being on Melrose, there was like this older lady that would push like, you know, those like old lady carts, I guess. <laughs> she would push those and she would bake fresh cookies every day. Um, and then like when we came up with the idea and we're like, do we need to sell cookies? I was like, dude, this lady's like 80 years old. She hustles like it'd be so dope to employ her to like make our cookies every day. So <laughs> the output was like crazy for her. I was like, <laughs> like looking back, I'm like, yo, I need 50 cookies like every day by 9 a.m. And like we did it for like a week with her. And then she was like, yeah, this is like not going to work. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I was like, you are pretty old. You know, I just want to put money in your Y'all gave an 80-year-old lady a job. car on the side of the road a job. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. For like a week. It was short-lived. And then I was like, okay, we'll give her a little compensation. Like, we had to part ways. But then um, we couldn't get the food license from the city because how those work is it's like X amount per area. Mm -hmm. And like Melrose is very big for restaurants. So like all the licenses were pretty much out. Um, so we were just going to go to this place called Diddy Reese. It's like a big bakery in LA. Um, and we were going to package them in like our packaging, but we weren't allowed to handle them. So we ended up using this guy, we called him chef Muhammad and like he made our cookies for the longest time. Um, up until I exited the business, he was like making our cookies, delivering them every day, packaging them, putting our stickers on it. So that's how we conquered the cookies. Is it you get a cookie when they buy the shoe or just yeah, come in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So we would sell, I think we'd sell like a three, two or three pack for a couple bucks. Um, or yeah, obviously with purchase, yeah. you get a free cookie. That's cool. That's sick. Yeah. That yeah. is sick. Where are you, are you learning how to be like a good entrepreneur just through the experience from like building this business? Or are you reading books or like watching YouTube videos or podcasts? <laughs> like how are you learning how to be good at this? I'm, I'm not going to inspire the kids with this one. Like, <laughs> but like it's they, real so no they want you to say like yeah i wake up at 4 a.m i work out i read books like i don't do any of that i never have uh you know i focus on my fitness but i'm not you know i'm waking up at like eight nine mm -hmm. i was never big on like reading books uh which i really wish i was but i mean that just ties back to like you know just like not being able to stay focused in school like mm -hmm. it was just so hard for me to like read books and just do all that um i know there's like you know, huge advantage to all that stuff. But no, that was never me, to be honest. I think it's cool. Like if anyone's listening to this and maybe like the, the normal idea of like an entrepreneur and what it takes to succeed, they have to wake up at 4am, go to the gym, meditate, yeah. do all this yeah. stuff to yeah. win. Yeah. It could be very overwhelming at the surface, but hearing that like you, you can just still succeed. Exactly. Can I cuss? Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah you bro. just got to bust your fucking ass. Like, yeah. It's yeah. that simple. Like, Books are going to teach you a lot, but it's not going to teach you how to get off your ass and like actually learn how to sell shit. No, you money. have to put that material yeah. into uh, 
real life action and exactly. actually use it. Exactly. I will play devil's advocate and challenge you though. You just got to find something that you like to read. Like if exactly. you, I'm yeah. sure if some designer had a book and like it was their story and you just related to For sure. every single part of like their grind, like you'd be just locked into it. It's like watching a good movie at that point. Yeah. But 100%. schools do a poor job a lot of the time of giving kids material that they actually enjoy. I think that's why mm-hmm. like people think of reading and writing as like a chore when really it, it could be like a, a superpower for humans. Right. Um, for sure. Yeah. School. Uh, I, I always honestly, more so nowadays, I kind of kick myself in the ass for not taking school more seriously. Um, I think school teaches you an insane amount of discipline. Um, mm. that's kind of how I always looked at it. Uh, it's, it's great for that. You, you know, obviously getting an education, going to college, like all that is going to pay off eventually. Um, you're not going to get instant results, which our generation is like super focused on instant results. So am I. Um, but I think, I mean, Aleem, you could definitely, I kind of want to toss it to you. I want you to give me your perception of schooling. On school. Yeah. Yeah. I think school does a poor job of giving curriculum and, and value that um, a student wants to learn about. Every student is different. Every student has their own interests, but like we just do a really poor job just because of like the way schools are structured and the way like communities are structured. Like, we don't have enough teachers who can teach the things that students want to know. And mm-hmm. and information moves so quickly these days mm-hmm. that like teachers can't even keep up. Like teachers got to learn chat GPT in a day and teach it in a day. Like that's not mm-hmm. possible. Right. No. But like, so creators on TikTok, creators on Instagram, creators on YouTube are keeping up quickly and delivering value in rapid like delivery ways like YouTube. And so that's keeping, that's actually what I think the future of education is, is, on-demand, self-paced, self-interest-based. Um, and I think that's why, like, you're actually even seeing um, more and more teachers actually go to TikTok as a way to deliver their content. Because um, it just works with the consumer. Yeah, it yeah. just works with um, the way that the next generation wants to obtain knowledge. But um, you got to learn by doing, too. Like mm-hmm. Alex said, um, I think, Polo, you do a great job of, like, absorbing knowledge through books and then like leading with that as a premise. Mm-hmm. I think you do a really good job like leading through the stuff that you're reading with books. Um, but really you just got to fail a bunch of times and yeah, you got to sure. lose money. You got to fall to get right back up. And it's just a matter of like how many times you're going to get back up. I think yeah. everybody can always get a job no matter what the job is. It could be high paying or not, but like you can always get a job, but you can't always go start a business. No. Um, no. hundred percent. And you can't force that mindset and i think that's what a lot of people do by looking for the guidance of like listening to these gurus that are like get up at 5 a.m go work out you know finish your workout by whatever you know do do some like meditation do your deep reading do all those things like um you can't you can't force yourself into being an entrepreneur no that has to be in you yeah. you have to want it and then even um, I'm a I'm a big reader. I'll read an hour ish every day. Damn. And it has to be interesting and applicable to like my life, my business, my health, whatever it is. Right. If it's not like I'll read three or four pages of the book and like feel like I'm falling asleep and I'll be like, this yeah. one's just not for me. And I'll set yeah. it aside. So you do have to um, find something that excites you. It doesn't feel like fucking homework or a chore, right. but applying it uh, to real life action is like what's the point of it if you never did it? You know, no one will, yeah. will win or succeed if they're just sitting inside reading all day and don't go out in the world and learn how to communicate what they read or exactly. build businesses around it or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's important to know. Um, 
So 20, this is 2018, 2019 when in your first year in business there, right? Yeah. So opened April, 2019. And now fast forward to like 2022, what's your involvement with it now? I think I heard Aleem said like you're doing other things or. Yeah. Where, so where do you, what do you, uh. Um, so fully exited the business January of last year. So almost two years ago now, um, no involvement with the company now. Um, yeah. What made you want to, uh, exit? Are you allowed to Uh, talk about it? Yeah. 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 Um, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't very fitting to the lifestyle that I was trying to kind of transition into. Um, you know, at, one point it was like me and the guys like we had this like dope house uh and it was like it was like honestly it was like surreal just what like what our days consisted of it was like waking up at like 10 a.m um you know going to work like our business was doing phenomenal this was like peak edd at the time um business was doing crazy and then it was just like go go to like a really nice dinner you know you're always like you always got like a cute girl with you and like you know you're going out to the club and then you're just like doing that over and over and over again and like we lived in like our little business frat house and uh I just got like kind of tired of that lifestyle you know it was just too much um I started dating a girl at the time and that kind of like drew me away also from like you know just wanting to be like involved in like that crazy party lifestyle Um, and then my dad passed away and that was when I was really like, just kind of reevaluating everything, you know, like I was neglecting my family, like time with my family a bunch. I was just so focused on like work and partying and all that, that, you know, once my dad passed, that's really when I was like, okay, this, like, I can't do this forever. And the business is doing phenomenal right now. EDD is going to burn out eventually, you know, it can't be forever. And I was like, if there's a time to exit the business, it's like right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I told the guys and I was like, you know, kind of want to part ways, which like, dude, I left like a year and a half. Like I initiated that conversation like only a year and a half into business. Um, and then by the time it was finalized, it was like a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, sold it and definitely regretted it a good amount at first. Um, but obviously everything's worked out since, so no regrets. Are you still involved with like sneakers and fashion and doing business around that? Or what are you up to now? Um, occasionally, like not really, uh, you know, it's like any business it's you, like you're kind of leaving money on the table when you work at something for a decade and like you kind of have all the resources to either like broker a deal or like broker a wholesale deal. So like. I'm never going to be selling them individually unless it's like for friends or like, Oh, I need that. But I always tell people like, if you're buying an individual shoe, like I can't get it for you any cheaper than you could just go (laughs) get it. Like my big thing was really, um, filling up the sprinter every week. Like we were spending probably like half a million dollars a week, uh, on inventory. So that was, that was kind of my thing. I got connected with a lot of wholesalers, um, in Los Angeles and kind of just all over around the world. Um, so like sometimes I'll utilize those connections like wholesale or like broker a little deal here and there, but uh, not really too involved in the space anymore. I'm yeah. curious when, uh, how much were you guys buying them wholesale for and 
what are you what's the profit so, margin? Okay, yeah. So our margins were I can say this now because I'm not, not involved. Our pricing was like terrible. Like I would never shop from us. Like we fully juiced every uh you know percent of profit that we could. We would pay like say say we put up a hundred thousand dollars, like our standard buyouts like at a time were like maybe a hundred K at a time. We do that a few times a week. So say we put up a hundred K, like our return on that would probably be like one fifty five to one sixty. Damn. Damn. And dude, product was turning over like insanely fast. Like the EDD money, like especially in LA on that street, like it like so much of that money funneled into streetwear and hype and all those things perfect timing yeah perfect timing damn what like these sneakers sell for crazy amounts of money like individually like circling back to when you were young and getting into this like was it was there like an adjustment period to asking people like for this high price of a ticket of an item or like were you just i feel like that's almost better if there wasn't you just got used to asking for that price like right away yeah Um, because uh, us as business owners, when we first started like four years ago, we way, way underpriced ourselves just because mm-hmm. we were scared to ask our clients for right. what we actually thought we were worth. And really that, you know, was yeah. was a mistake and stabbed us, kept us from like moving forward quicker. But were you? Yeah. Go so, ahead. Sorry. No. So I think uh, you guys are a service at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So you you really have to sell yourself to the people for the most part until, you, you know, obviously you guys probably have people coming to you at this point. But I've always sold products that sell themselves, you know, unless I'm reaching out to an influencer and trying to create a relationship there. My product's here and you got to come get it. So if you're going to come to me, you know. That makes total sense. You already got the credibility of Nike, Jordan, whoever. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, our prices definitely, as we like, as the business started to scale, we actually started to up our prices because we just, we couldn't get inventory as quick as it was selling so we were like all right dude now we got a price everything that was 250 we would tell our employees like whatever's 250 now it's 280 and like we would do that to try and just like slow down the sales a bit um but then we figured out our whole supply chain and we were able to just um price however we wanted to and it would still turn over somehow like a lot of that though was our social media Mm. was our tiktok so we Brought on this girl, Bar, um, who absolutely killed our TikTok. Um, I think she got us to, like, a million followers and maybe, like, I don't know, like, a few months. Damn. And then, yeah, so what that TikTok did, this was, like, peak TikTok era for, like, the D'Amelios and, like, the, all the guys, like, all the hype houses, all that type of stuff. Um, This was, like, peak era for all that. And, like, we were the only business that was, like, really pushing TikTok. Mm-hmm. So, and we are obviously located in, like, the mecca of, like, where all these influencers are. Um, so, they just felt, like, very, uh, I don't know, like, incentivized. But, like, they knew that if they came and shopped with us, like, they would definitely get a little discount. So, we made, like, you know, really great connections with all those TikTokers um, and all that. And that, like... The people that would, you know, you're talking like maybe between all the TikTokers that we worked with, there might be like a cumulative billion followers and like their followers, like little kids, they would come from like Kansas to LA and like they want to shop where their favorite celebrity shops. 
And like, they might be paying 20% more than the store right next to us, but like, they just want that experience of just feeling a part of it. It was like really big on community. That's kind of one thing that we tried to. They shop at the same place as Logan Paul shops at or. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it just feels cool, which like, you know, looking back, uh, when I say that out loud, I'm like, damn, we kind of took advantage of that <laughs> and like priced our stuff a little more, but yeah. You're you know. also just doing what you had to do for, cause the, the wholesale structure, like you were just adjusting to that period. Yeah, exactly. Too. And right. every great like business does that mm-hmm. Apple that doesn't cost them a thousand dollars to make the iPhone. Yeah. Like you built your brand to right. the place to where you, <clears throat> to where you could charge that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um so did y'all ever have like relationships with Nike or Adidas? Like no. did they did they care about what y'all were doing? Like it's No. Um what's the structure no. of like the wholesale network look like? Like how many different places are you guys having to run around to to get so, shoes? Are they all coming to you or like Yeah. So I don't know how much I could say as far as like my suppliers. Um Basically, there were, let's say, two individuals that got everything as if they had a tier zero account with Nike. But, like, we're talking, you know, uh, like the champs in Santa Rosa Plaza might get, there's a hot release, they might get, like, 50 pairs. Like, my guys, their warehouse would get 2,000 pairs. So... Um, I know, I know how their logistics work. I could tell you a little more off camera, but, um, so like Nike any day could just like unleash a supply of shoes and that would totally have crushed you guys. Like you'll never, you were never worried about that. So, uh, not really because at the end of the day, like, you know, the most we would have of one skew is maybe 200 pairs, you know, you're talking like $50,000. So like, if it, like we have a lot, we had a big variety. So, you know, if Nike, Nike's not going to release a hundred different SKUs in like mass quantities, that would crush us if we had all those SKUs. But like if they redropped the shoe uh, that we had maybe 50 grand worth of and like the price dropped, like we might lose 10 grand. Okay. There's, there's absolutely like zero risk in this business. So you're like, it's like trading stocks. You're like, have to manage your risk. You have to know that like, Hey, I'm willing to take on a lot more of my cash exposure to this shoe because it's going to be less sensitive to price. Movements. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So like, I know that you also day trade stocks and stuff yeah. too. So I'm sure a lot of that like supply demand market dynamics is yeah. literally the same. Yeah. It's sports a, cards. Exactly. Sports. Oh man. Did we all get it? Are you guys into sports cards? So what's kind of crazy story we have okay. about sports cards. Um, okay. the beginning of the year in like April, we have this client, um, owns a gym in Windsor and we had just like a normal standard protocol meeting to talk about what we were going to do for their social media accounts. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be a 30 minute meeting. Um, went well, owner of the business asked us after the meeting, if we want to go get food and drinks, uh, at this little restaurant in Windsor. So we, we went and, um, we ended up having quite a few drinks with them and like, we're not even talking about business with this guy anymore. We're just talking about life our parents, a lot of things under the umbrella. And uh, somehow the conversation gets to him saying like he has, he got from his brother who um, went schizophrenic and isn't around anymore, like this massive collection of 80,000 sports cards. 
Oh, wow. And he told us, he's like, I got a box of Michael Jordan's, a box of Kobe Bryant's, like a box of Joe Montana's, all these crazy uh, sports cards. And uh, I, ha- we both had a very surface level understanding of that industry. Like, okay. I went to Target and bought some boxes and flipped them on eBay for very small markups, uh-huh. right? And um, so I told him, I was like, I know a little bit about this stuff. Um, I was like, basically, we just got to kind of like see what you have and look it up and see if it's really worth anything. Right. We're hammer drunk. We're like seven, eight <laughs> drinks deep at this point. A couple of shots of tequila. And um, we're, neither of us are even big drinkers, too. Yeah. And uh, he's he's like, my house is right down the street. You guys want to come check him out? And we're like, sure. So we go to his house with him, have a couple more drinks. He takes us into his shed, and he says his like wife's getting mad at him about all the space it's sure. taken. And before yeah. that, they paid real storage and spent like six grand over a couple of years. So he just had to like do something with yeah. them. So he takes us into the shed, shows us them. Sure enough, he has a box of twenty six hundred Michael Jordan cards and a. Were they like organized so well? I'll I'll show you videos when we get off of them. But organized absolutely perfectly, like in perfect condition. Box of um, he had like two rows of just Kobe Bryant rookies, so like fourteen hundred Kobe Bryant rookies and all these like eighty thousand other cards of like. Those were definitely the two biggest hitters. We found one Tom Brady rookie in the whole collection. But then it was like Joe Montana, Barry Bonds, Derek Jeter. Uh, like millions. Like of dollars. Essentially, if you graded all the cards. Yeah. Uh, and had that, that system in play right. to sell them that way and played the long-term game, right? But we had a wholesale lot. And um, it the topic did come to the surface of like, hey, would you guys want to start like a card store with this? Like this is enough inventory to do so. And no way. We just we were we were in Forbes Media and this, so we were like, no, we can't. Yeah. Like, uh, we got to build this one baby thing. we have. We're yeah. young here still, and um, so he gave us the box of Michaels and Kobe's that night. He said, well, "We said we got to look these up. Like, we could bring our laptops here and just like break bread on yeah, them type thing. Yeah, get down right here." Um, and he was like, "Just take ch- take them. I trust you guys." He we were drunk. He said, "If you," uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. he said, "If you fuck me, I'll shoot you in your fucking faces." And we said, "All right, <laughs> you probably Roger wasn't lying. deal. Uh, we're not we're not gonna fuck you, man. We're, we promise." So um, we took the Michaels and Kobe's to uh, our old office, which is just uh, upstairs, six hundred square foot studio in my dad's barn. Okay, and we started looking them up, and sure as shit, like. Five thousand Michael dollar Michael Jordan card here, four thousand dollar Michael Jordan card here. Yeah. All these Kobe rookies and shit, like just crazy, crazy amounts of cards. So we actually looked through every single Michael Jordan card and every single Kobe Bryant card, and we found the most valuable ones based off of like just research we did on eBay, graded, ungraded. Yeah, right. And we took them, we put them in a van shoebox, and there's a, a sports card store just a couple blocks away from here. And we walk in there, and we go. And we like tell these guys like, hey, we have some cards for you to check out. Like as I'm like, we're waiting to talk Probably to them, looking around. Some bullshit. They have one Michael Jordan card in their store, uh, <laughs> and fucking, um, we showed this guy it, the owner of the store, and he was like, oh my god, like, uh, where did you guys get this? And <laughs> yeah. We like told them <laughs> oh like, my god. we got a storage shed full of like eighty thousand cards from this era, um, all kept in this perfect condition, like organized in sets, like. Yeah rookies uh there was marvel cards disney cards like all sorts of shit holy shit so he was like okay um he was (laughs) like if you really have more of these like i know some some top players in the card industry that will like literally fly out here and come check out the lot and then they'd buy it wholesale if it's like as good as this Uh and we were like let's what do we got to do let's check it out and um it was actually some guys they have this company called uh called going twice um they're really big in Pokemon. They're just kind of getting into sports cards, I guess. But they, they're on that app, Whatnot, all the time. Okay. Are you guys familiar with Whatnot? Yeah. Um, 
they're very, very active there. Um, I think they were like a $2 million company off sports card auctions off Instagram last wow, year, they told damn. us. So they flew in um, two times. The first time, um, us as salesmen, we were very, very unorganized. Like, it all happened so fast. Like, they happened to be coming into town for something that next day. So um, we had to scramble to get these 80 boxes of sports cards two feet wide, two foot square wide, you know, and load them up into a truck and then um, get them to, like, a place where they could look at them. And the first time, they were just in a bed of a truck, like, on a tailgate looking at them. And it was a mess, and um, they offered us 20K for the lot, and we told them, like, no way, like, we know, like, this is, this is like, at least, like, seven eight $800,000 with the right infrastructure to sell it, right? right? Like, which Whoa. takes years, takes employees, so you have to get yeah. them graded and everything. But, like, we did our homework. We fucking legitly did Hell our homework. Yeah, baby. Yeah. We spent days, like, researching oh, these yeah. cards. And then um, they said, all right, like, whatever, like, nice meeting you guys, took off couple of weeks go by. We actually had one other person look at the lot who um, said we want, we asked them for a hundred grand. They said it was a little too high for them. They couldn't get approved from that from their partners. And then those guys called us back um, just a couple of days after that. And we're like, Hey, some stuff just changed in the industry. We're highly interested in that uh, collection. Now we want to fly back out and check it out again. So we were like, cool. This time we use like um, the gym, uh, our client owns we just set up a bunch of picnic tables laid it all out for um basketball here football here uh what? like organized it and they came in a different dude this time and he looked through every single one and then uh he looked for like an hour or two and then i think like he offered us like 50 grand and um we went uh with our client and just to a room and discussed it and he like looked at us and he was like uh what do you guys want to do and I was like, honestly, I was like, I feel like a hundred grand. Like th- I just was thinking like, this is, that's probably a good deal for all the work that would have to come in, right, like right, go right. into that. We don't have a business yeah. and we don't have time or employees to do this. Um, and, uh, he looked at Tyler. He's like, what do you think Ty? And Ty started talking and then he just turned around and he walked out the door and he was, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was like, Hey, what do you, uh, what do you say to 55 grand? And the guy was like, deal. And, oh, uh, they shook hands and then we got, we just got 15% for brokering the deal. That's so um, cool, that we huh? split. So cool. Hell yeah. It was a cool little bag for us to pick up for, for sure. sure. But just some cards, bro. Yeah. I still yeah. sometimes yeah. think about like walking upstairs to our old office and seeing just like literally sports cards. So cool. Everywhere. Uh-huh. And like we were, I'll say honest to God right here. We did not take a single card from that collection. And sometimes like yeah. I sit and think like there was 72 of those Kobe Bryant rookies. <laughs> <laughs> the same one. Not, that was 300 grand. Like there, there was 72 of like the same one, you know, like not, there was, there was hundreds of, you know, of them all together, but I was like, I could have, I could have took one, like yeah, <laughs> double for the collection, bro. Uh, but I'm glad I did it, you know, conscious ways now, but yeah, get that, shot in the face. That was yeah. our involvement with sports cards. That's um, pretty wow. neat. That's what look, a cool story though. Hell yeah. Cool. That's insane. It goes to show like neither of us are big drinkers. Um, and I remember, like, the client asked us if we wanted to go have a drink, and we both kind of looked at each other, and, like, we communicated that, like, oh, we don't want to do this, but let's just go, like, nurture this relationship right. for the sake of nurturing the relationship. We don't want to just grab our bag, then bounce, right? Right. And through that came this other beautiful opportunity where not only did we make, like, more money from it, but we've done work for the guys who own the sports card company now, too, filming okay. videos for That's them, cool. making oh, reels shit. for them and stuff. Yeah. So it's like a... Uh, Triple up. Just, yep. yeah, it's... Yeah. Just being a good person is what it comes from. Like not yeah. trying to go into things asking for anything, but just with the intent of like, let's being let's genuine. yeah, let's be good people and yeah. try to build a relationship. You was know? this yeah. in twenty twenty two? This was in April this year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right before 
the sport market, uh, the sport card market just fucking totally dipped alongside yeah, everything. Declined a lot. I actually just did a 2022 year in review newsletter for the ambitious community. And I like broke down like all the trends that like came and went in 2022 NFTs, uh, had their, had their go in 2022 sports cards and like trading had their go. Um, you know, you saw like NBA Top Shot blow up. Yeah, remember that Candy Digital like launched the um, MLB you were really one. early on Top Shot. Yeah, yeah, we, we, I was really early on Top really Shot. Really early. Price on. Pick probably helped. Well, yeah, helped everyone that. at Price Picks are a bunch of sports geeks, and we were all just like nerding out on. We had like our own yeah. Slack channel for Top Shot. We, everybody was going crazy on it, but like, yeah, like, trading cards, collectibles, all that stuff kind of came and went in 2022. Even crypto, um, and of course, the stock market even tanked. Yeah. But uh, everything, everything, it was you think it it went by really fast, but a lot of stuff happened in like the market itself. Like you're talking about Uh EDD money, like all that completely got exhausted this year in 2022. Yeah. Low key anxious to see what happens in 2023 because people are now like, oh, shit, money ain't free anymore. What do do we do now? Well, it's like the same people that like are still anticipating a recession as if we're like not already in one. For sure. Like our, my parents own the grocery store, right? And it's like the same people who used to buy like pints of Henny are now like downsizing to like Jack Daniels because they don't have that extra yeah. cash anymore. Yeah. Wow. And um, my mom's like, people would buy like, you know, the good milk and now they want the, the shitty milk. Yeah. Because like they just want to save that $2. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. Time for sure. Crazy times. Yeah. You get involved with the NFTs at all in LA? No. Um, not at all, actually, surprisingly. Um, yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. I, I thought you'd be on it. Yeah, no. Um, honestly, so I kind of when NFTs became popular, I was, um, I trade options. Uh, so when, I don't know, that kind of like beforehand, I was like a lot riskier with what I did in the markets and like crypto and all that stuff. I was, I definitely liked a lot of risk. And then once I started trading options, um, it's already so risky, like just how the contracts move and it's very volatile. But at the end of the day, you have a company backing, you know, what's causing the price of, you know, X stock to go up and down. And I, I trade a lot of ETFs and stuff like that. So it kind of made me take my foot off the gas with crypto a little bit more. Um, just because, you know, you're comparing like I could buy this coin or I could buy this company basically with a you know a solid backing and um pay attention to what they're doing right exactly with the waves of the announcements yeah and whatnot. you have a lot more conviction with you know when you're trading stocks than when you're trading cryptocurrency for the most part where do you think we're headed in 2023 um i think that we're gonna continue to pull back uh i don't i I mean, it's it's hard to say. I definitely, I definitely think uh, if you have cash, just hold on to cash. Continue to hold cash. That's like the biggest objective uh, for me. It's just like keeping cash secure. That's actually what I put in the newsletter today too. Was yeah, twenty twenty three. The strategy is to save and accumulate cash. A hundred percent. And we'll know when the opportunity comes to like come in. The I think a lot saved will win. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get anxious as far as like. You know, I think uh, Bitcoin being at 16 grand, like, you know, people start to average in now because they're like, dude, it's so cheap. Like, it can't go cheaper. Like, I promise you, Bitcoin could be five grand and like, it's not going to be crazy. We're talking, it went from 69,000 to 16,000. Like, what's stopping it from being five grand? For sure. Absolutely nothing. Some technical analysis, maybe. I don't know. Um, but 
yeah, cash is going to be key. And like, we're talking a decade from now, like millionaires are going to be made now, you know, and you're not going to know for another few years, but just having that cash and just being patient. And when you do start to buy, just averaging into things. That's the biggest, biggest what is, thing. What does uh, Warren Buffet say? Be greedy when others are fearful. Be fearful when, when others, others are, greedy. are greedy. Yeah, exactly. Straight up. Everyone's fearful right now for the most part. For sure. You know? It's simple stuff, but it's just hard hard for people <laughs> to do it. Tell me about it. It's so emotional. That's the biggest thing. You know, when you're, when you're you know, working directly with your money, uh, like the emotions are just insanely hard to overcome. Yeah. Especially when it's like amounts of money. Like I always think... Uh, that you should, whenever you're trading or like buying something up, I think you should use an amount of money that moves the needle. Therefore, you're going to be emotionally connected to it because when you're not emotionally connected, you could just like give two fucks, you know? Mm. Like, oh, I put a hundred bucks into this, but like I can afford to lose a hundred. So like, I don't really care. Like, I think you need to take things serious. I think you need to put up an amount of money that makes you like maybe the slightest bit uncomfortable and take things seriously, you know? Because... When things don't move the needle, that's when you're like, okay with losing it. Yeah, okay with mm-hmm. it. So, is your next venture gonna be back in shoes, back in apparel, or you think um, move markets? Yeah, uh, I guess I was like, <laughs> you guys asked me what I didn't want to talk about. I guess I'll be the one thing. Sneakers okay. definitely do have some plans with it. Cool. Um, yeah. I heard you say on the Simplify podcast too, you don't like to talk about things until yeah you're doing that. Yeah, for sure. I respect that too. So I, I do kinda, respect yeah, that. I was like, I yeah. wonder if he's going to be like wanting to hint at what he's doing next. Or yeah, I've absolutely never, uh, never like been one to talk. I love to you know I like to talk about the past and like where where we've gotten to, but I don't know. I just I can't be one of those people that. We like to play poker, right? You probably don't count your chips before you stand. Yeah, exactly. I love to play poker. Poker is definitely a big, big part of a, sounds degenerate, but my life, I would say. (laughs) Stocks are big. I feel like that's calculated poker. Yeah, exactly. Dude, Grayton is like an amazing poker room too. So now I know where you want to play. Yeah, (laughs) it's fun to play there. Um, Um, What would you say, like, was there value? Obviously there was, but like. People who are scared to get out of their hometown and move to like just outgrow where they are, like what is your advice on that to people? Um I think I think this kind of ties back to you know, being uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable and you have to be okay with that. Like I know a lot of people that set like a financial goal, like, okay, I need to save let's say ten thousand dollars before I move out. It's like like you just got to do it. You got to like go out there with the bare minimum, like go out there with like a month worth of expenses saved up. You know, you just have to do it. Obviously super cliche. Like there's never going to be the perfect time. Um, and it's definitely okay to fail. If you go out there and you don't make things work, like just go back home, you know? So I would say just do it. Don't wait for like X amount of dollars in the bank. Just do it. And you know, part of the reason why most people leave is for financial incentives. There's better opportunities wherever they're going. Um, yeah, you just got to do it. Make yourself uncomfortable. Be okay with being uncomfortable. Every entrepreneur loves being uncomfortable. I think that's a fact. You like you weirdly, weirdly, I think we all like to have our back up against the wall, you know, every now and then. 
It forces you to grow. You have yeah. to fight your way out of the corner or yeah. or it'll it'll kill you. Exactly. But like there's no better feeling. There's no better fire than that, you know? Yeah. So. I think it's embedded in, in man's DNA and existence that it's just there. Yeah. You have yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So what do you tell kids who want to get into sneaker game right now? Mm, right now it's rough because, you know, like everything, uh everything's definitely down. I think there's, I think, I think why a lot of people like the knowledge business, like Aleem, you know, he's like into the knowledge business. I think that's a great way to kind of capitalize off basically any industry right now. Um, Because like selling a product, for example, is hard right now. Whatever the product is, like it's hard to sell things right now. I think selling knowledge is definitely going to prevail throughout you know, until the economy is back. So I would say like, maybe don't sell shoes, but like, you know, teach kids how to obtain shoes, teach them how to get them online, you know, maybe approach it from a different point of view. That's a very smart insight for people right now. Cause yeah. just w- think of things work coherently with the economy and things going down. People are going to be having to learn to improve that essentially. Right. So yeah. that makes total fucking sense. Yeah. Well said, man. Yeah, I agree. Like recession is a great time for everyone across the board to level up. Mm-hmm. Like whether you're a business owner, you need to understand how to market better. You need to understand how to get your costs down. If you're an employee and you just lost your job, you should probably figure out a new skill or learn a new skill to yeah be more competitive and stand out in the market because now there's going to be more competition. For sure. 100%. Um, back to your point real quick about, um, you know, moving to a new city. Um, we recently had a speaker come in at, at uh, a prize picks event. And his book is called like the purple goldfish. And one really cool thing that he said was like, have you ever seen a huge ass goldfish? And a lot of people have seen big goldfish and small goldfish, but he's like, do you know what dictates the size of the goldfish? And people are like the food, you know, the, you know, where the goldfish came from. But every, everyone actually agreed on the size of the bowl, the bigger the bowl, the bigger the goldfish. And so that same thing applies in business. If you're, you know, if you are uh, competing in a big market, you can potentially capture a big share of that market. Or if you are a person moving to a bigger city, you could probably grow more being in a bigger city because your bowl is that much bigger. That makes total sense. A beautiful analogy too. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, rec- I'll show like you guys that. that book. I'll give you the book actually. I have two copies of it. Oh yeah. I know you'd like it. I'll tear it up, man. I know you <laughs> Maybe I'll give it a go. <laughs> you never know. We're all transcendent, man. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Hell yeah. How long have we been running for, Ty? 110. 110? Wow. You guys got any other topics you want to bring to light? I got something for you real quick. I know we've been yeah. all over you today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, m- coming from an underdog city, Santa Rosa, Sonoma County, mm-hmm. and then going to LA, like the mecca of influencers, and being around all this money, McLarens, Ferraris, Lambos, seeing people like your business partners who have hella money, yeah. probably a lot more than you do. Yeah. How'd you kind of maintain your mental health and be like, shit, like, am I really supposed to be here or am I an imposter and kind of manage your imposter syndrome? Or were you just like, no, I, fuck I it, saw your clip here. of that. And I, I would honestly give the exact same answer that you did. And the fact that you kind of feel like you have imposter syndrome and then you start to reflect and you're like, literally your exact answer. Like, no, I worked hard. I deserve to be here. You know, kind of everything you said, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Like, you know, it, but you felt like you deserve to be there. You're like, no, yeah. I yeah. compete with these guys. I play in yeah. the same league. Exactly. You know, to get in any room, like 
you have to work hard. Like, I might be that, you know, seventh round draft pick like Brock Purdy, but I'm meant to be up at the top. Yeah, you're with first rounders, you know? Yeah. Um, for sure. So, yeah, honestly, that that's, you know, it's a little trippy at first, but then you kind of sit back and you're like, okay, like my whole life has been based off risk. Uh, you know, I've never wanted a steady paycheck. I've always wanted to go balls to the wall and like go broke a million times. Like every entrepreneur has gone broke a million times, or at least I have. Um, if and, like, you aren't, you're not an entrepreneur. Dude, and like, that's like, I love that shit. So, you know, you deserve to be in whatever room you're in with whatever the biggest people's, the multimillionaires, whatever, like, you know, cause you're going to be there eventually. So. They put their pants on one leg at a time, too, every single morning. And yeah. when I was young, like, we've been we've been called to entrepreneurism since we were, like, 18, 19, too. But there was, like, a slew where I worked in construction and, like, was just kind of became comfortable with, like, the security that comes along with a right. job like that right. in life. Like, you lose your freedom, your ability to, when you go to lunch whenever you feel like or whatever. But, yeah. um. I remember telling, like, looking around at business owners, like, in all sorts of different industries and being like, they're, they're giving, they're given the same set of tool sets that I have, then they sure. just figured shit out and had that belief in themselves to figure stuff out. So, yeah. like, that's really all I feel like it takes. Like, once you have that and the, uh, the ability to endure and just not give up and exactly. confidence in your capabilities and existence, like, it's so much confidence. game over eventually. Oh, yeah. Confidence and, uh, you know, I don't think it's talked about enough. I think people's skills are huge in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Just knowing how to talk to people, get your point across. Um, I think you do an amazing job of like, you have like an insane brain and like you're great on the back end. And typically people to your scope don't have the social skills or maybe like know how to communicate, but like you, you definitely kill it. Right on. At all that. Now trying to monetize it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's been yeah, cool to build yeah. a community and like just be around awesome people and yeah. now trying to figure out how to build a product out of it for sure. Yeah, man. The cool part is none of us are in our wisdom years yet. We're all in our learning years. Yeah. hundred percent. So the wisdom years are gonna be dope. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be dope. My frontal lobe's just getting uh finished up right now. So. <laughs> just finishing <laughs> developing. Yeah. We just got to our maximum height. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. man, six one. Hell yeah. Use a little bit more. Where can um, everybody find you on social media? Uh, Alex is CEO on pretty much just Instagram. I use Twitter a little bit. I don't even know the handle, but Alex is CEO. One thing I've wanted to ask you about this too, sorry to make you plug yourself uh, and then yeah, go yeah. back to a question, but um, on the Simplify podcast that we watched, uh -huh. you, you mentioned that you guys were doing some YouTube content. I didn't have a second to check it out, but are you doing stuff on YouTube too, or was, uh, was that just when you were um, at Cookies and Kicks? Yeah, that was at Cookies. They actually fired it up like kind of just after i exited the business so gotcha um i honestly i i don't think they're still handling that stuff or doing that but um no i've i've always wanted to it's always sounded really good to me to like want to be in front of the camera and like make content and all that um but as i've just like kind of gotten older and i think like i told you guys at the beginning like gotten you know i just don't i don't I don't like that anymore, really. I don't like being in front of the camera and, like, shooting content and showing what my day-to-day -day is like because I just, like, I just chill in sweats, man. I don't, like, everyone, like, I don't look at anyone worse than, better than. I don't like to, like, show show off. Like, I'm pretty... You're not having to sell yourself as hard anymore. No, either. yeah, yeah, and that's what I would see myself doing. Like, 2019, Alex, if I was doing, you know, YouTube, I would be, like, 
all day like here's the lambo you know mm-hmm. here's the cash all that but um yeah man yeah, you like actually laid back now you actually post everything on your close friends close friends like you very always. rarely post a public story yeah i'll post public story like once a month maybe but it's typically like all close friends very like you know that's a cool position to be in mentally yeah uh, yeah. Hell yeah it's just like fulfilled you know that's kind of how i feel right now it's like you don't need a flex it's just like you just want to update your close friends yeah. yeah yeah exactly i've seen a dave Chappelle skit on facebook or something the other day where uh he said he was talking about Kanye West. Kanye West like walked into a room and like everyone was kind of making fun of what he was wearing, uh-huh. and they were all wearing like iced out chains and stuff. And uh, Dave Chappelle said like uh, Kanye just got kind of like mad at him. He was like, "I don't wear chains. I ain't a millionaire." He said, "I'm a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. We don't wear chains." And Dave yeah. Chappelle was like, "I started tucking my chain in my shirt." And, uh, but uh, yeah, that's just that's just the transcendence, you know. You kind of learn. Yeah. People, special moments, family are more important than money and material things 100%. at the end of the day. 100%. And um, that's cool that that has become like a conscious priority in your life. That's honestly yeah. goals for us, man. Um, yeah, well, I mean, shit, I'm still I'm still in the trenches. I'm still trying to grind it out, you know? you Like, as an entrepreneur, it's like the first 10K, the first 100K, first million. Now it's like that gap from like a million to 10 million bucks, it's like, fuck. Which of those felt the best? Going. 10K, 100K, a million? Uh, 10k. Yeah, you know <laughs> the first 10k. Honestly, be proud of yourself. Honestly, man. I mean, even really going back, like the first thousand bucks, like you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's definitely the smaller amounts that like you feel. So fuck yeah, bro. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Thank you for having me, though. Want to plug yeah, yourself yeah. one more time, just in case people forgot? Alex, the CEO. Hell yeah. Yep. Aleem, where can people find you too? Which one? Uh, Ambitious Aleem on Instagram or join our Slack community, theambitiousapp.com. We'll definitely run one, too, to let the people know what you've been up to lately as oh, well. Oh, good. Yeah, maybe in April when we launch. Okay. Sure. Yeah. We'd love to Hell do yeah. a launch pod. Hell yeah, guys. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank cool. You Appreciate you, man. Thank you, too. Yep. Thank you all for tuning in. Peace. Peace. Like, share, subscribe, comment.